At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm standing inside a parking garage at a Target in Chicago with writer Kim Brooks. Let's see. I see, oh, I see a mom with a little kid. She has him by the hand, but he's not completely cooperating. She's saying, come on, come on. (laughs) You can probably picture the parking garage scene, the oversized red plastic shopping carts, the endless stream of moms loading their young kids in and out of SUVs. I just want to take her out for lunch. I want to watch her kids so she can go out for lunch. Kim sits down on one of those giant concrete target balls and zips up her puff coat. She knows why I asked her to meet me here instead of inside a studio. We're here because a target parking lot was not this particular one, but another target parking lot was where I um, had a life-changing event about six years ago with my son. And it sort of launched me on the path of writing about parenthood and fear. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi, and today on the show, Kim Brooks, the author of a new book called Small Animals, tells the story of what happened in that parking lot six years ago, where she committed a crime. And surprisingly, after the shock of having a warrant out for her arrest, Kim wants to do the thing that got her in trouble even more. And she wishes more parents felt the freedom to do this thing, too. Kim and I head inside to the Starbucks, where we grab cushy chairs, two coffees. She tells me a story that begins in 2011, when her son was four and a half, her daughter 18 months. I was home in Virginia visiting my parents with my two kids, and it was the last day of my visit there. And I was, you know, nervously, frantically trying to pack everything up and get ready for the flight home to Chicago with them. And while she was packing, Kim realized her son's headphones were broken. They were a special pair, where if she put them on him during a flight, he'd stay occupied the whole way there. They were catching a flight later that day, so she decided to go drive her mom's car over to the Target. He asked if he could come along, and I said yes. And then when we got to the store, which was about a five-minute drive from my mom's house, he had found my mom's iPad in the car and was playing it, and he asked if he could just wait in the car while I went in. Kim's instinct was to say no. I wasn't in the habit of letting my kids wait in the car because, you know, people steal cars in the city, things like that. But this wasn't Chicago. This was suburban Virginia. And it wasn't hot out. This was in about mid-March, so it was probably like a 50-degree day, something like that. Kim was tired and running late. 
the errand would be way easier without a whiny preschooler dragging her down. Would it really be that bad to leave him just for a few minutes? I do remember, like, asking my parents a lot if I could wait in the car because, like, I didn't want to run their boring errand. I didn't want to go into, like, Sears or, you know, and, oh, we have to go look for new wallpaper or something, you know. Like, that seemed awful. So I have lots of actually quite pleasant memories of waiting in the car with the windows open, like, reading, like, a Sweet Valley High or just, you know, like, listening to music or just, like, staring at the sky for a few minutes. It just was a very common thing. Kim didn't want to deal with the meltdown from her spirited 40-pound four-year-old. But also, beneath all that, there's something else going on. The small, quiet voice that she'd been hearing in her head a lot lately. Why, it said. Why do you have to have this discussion, the confrontation, the battle? It wasn't like he was asking to smoke a joint or rollerblade in traffic. You know, if you're trying to decide if you're going to let your kids swim in the swimming pool without getting in the pool with them, you know, you don't do statistical analysis. You sort of think about your kid, how well are they doing in swimming lessons, does the pool look safe? Like, you know, and then you make the best call that you can make as a parent, knowing that there's some risk to basically everything you do with your kids. So so it, it didn't feel risky. I, I couldn't imagine something catastrophic happening in those five minutes. So I said, fine. I opened the windows a few inches. I child-locked the doors. And I pulled right up to the entrance of the store and ran in, got the headphones came back out about five minutes later, and he was fine exactly as I left him, playing his game. What Kim didn't know is while she was in the store, someone had been watching her. The person made a video of her son alone in the car and called 911. By the time the police got there, Kim and her son were gone. The officer looked up the license plates, and he went to Kim's mom's house. There, he showed her mom a blurry picture of Kim in the parking lot. Is this you? Her mom began to cry and said, no, that's my daughter. I hadn't told her about what had happened because I didn't think anything had happened. And so he asked her to um, tell him where I was. And she said, well, you know, she's at the airport. And then he said, oh, she's fleeing the state. And my mom was like, she's not fleeing the state. She's going home to Chicago. Like, this was when her flight was scheduled. There's no law in the state of Virginia against letting your kid wait in a car, though 19 states actually do have statutes to address this. And so Kim started waiting to find out if the prosecutor would decide to press charges or not. Just in case, she hired a lawyer in Virginia who explained that she could be charged with something as extreme as child neglect or abuse. Even before this happened, I found being a new mother very challenging at times. And I had a lot of insecurity and anxiety about, you know, wanting to be a good mother, wanting to be a perfect mother, but not having a lot of support. I don't live near my own parents. I didn't have many friends who were mothers at the time. And I often felt very alone and very uncertain, you know, about was I always making the right decision for my kids? And so coming from that place of anxiety and uncertainty, then to have someone 
both a, a stranger and then a police officer say, not only are you not doing a good job as a mother, but, but we maybe think that you're a criminally negligent mother. It was pretty horrifying. Kim hoped that this would be resolved quickly. But late at night, she started to wonder, to what extent did she put her son's safety at risk? Stay with us. Say advertisement. Advertisement. Good job. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When we left off, Kim had just been arrested for leaving her son in the car while she ran into Target for a few minutes. Back home in Chicago, while she waited to be charged with the crime, her anxiety was getting more intense. Kim started to imagine worst-case scenarios. What would it be like if a caseworker from Child Protective Services was asked to investigate? How would her mothering look to this person? Would she appear nurturing enough? Was the oven clean? When was the last time she trimmed her son's fingernails? All she wanted was someone to confide in, someone who could just ease her doubts and say, Kim, this is nonsense. Of course you're a good mother. She knew just the friend. And I sort of confided in her one day. We were having lunch about what had happened. And because we had one of those relationships where we would be pretty honest about the struggles and challenges of motherhood, like, for example, we had had this joke between us that we were going to have a sleep affair where the two, we were like, what if the two of us, like, just like got a hotel room with twin beds and we just slept like for three hours every day because both of us had very colicky babies and so we were like both so sleep deprived so it was like that kind of relationship like pretty honest about the ways in which being a mom of an infant is pretty hard and so that's why I think it kind of took me aback that when I told her what had happened and she said you know what you're what did you do and I told her and she it wasn't like she was like, oh, you're a horrible mother. But she was, she was like, oh, well, I can't believe you did that. Like, I would never do that. I would never leave him and my, my kid in a car, even for a second. In your book, you describe how she took a sip of her wine and was just quiet for a moment. Right. There was just this moment of quiet where I could just feel her judging me. That was the end of your friendship, in a lot of ways, that conversation with her. And when you look back at it, can you see the ways that she could have been right? Well, yeah, I mean, I can identify with, uh, so, yeah, because there, there are a lot of people like that. And I've met them in the last few years since I've been writing about this who just say, I would never do that. It just doesn't feel safe. And I absolutely can understand and identify with it. I mean, I hate flying. I do it, but I hate it. It doesn't feel safe to me. 
I know that's not rational. I know that I'm safer on a plane than I am driving to the airport, but it's an irrational fear. And so I fly like as little as possible, you know, and I wouldn't want to be shamed or like, you know, told that I'm ridiculous for that. So parents should certainly be allowed to have certain things that, you know, they just think I'm just not comfortable with it. The problem that I see that arises is when we institutionalize those fears. Late at night, Kim had started researching things like how many kids are actually abducted by strangers in America every year. Statistically speaking, you would have to leave your child in a public space for 750,000 years for them to be abducted by a stranger. 99% of all child abductions are committed by a child's parents. The last comprehensive study from 2002 found that about 115 kids a year are abducted by strangers. So it's statistically near impossible, but it does happen. But something could always happen. You know, I could have brought my son into the store and there could have been a shooter you know, who killed us both. You know, we, I could have dragged him across the parking lot and some driver, I mean, this is something I worry about all the time. Someone pulling out could be texting and not paying attention and run us both over. So, you know, it's not that there's no risk to the decision that I made, but it's that there's always some risk and it didn't feel like an unreasonable risk to me. But someone could say, well, the world is different now. We don't leave kids in the car anymore because the world has changed. Right. Well, they're right that we don't tend to leave kids in cars anymore. And and they're actually, they're right that the world has changed. The problem is that it's changed in a lot of ways in the opposite way that people mean, which is that, you know, violent crime, all kinds of violent crime are at record lows now. Things are different because of the way we see the world and the way we see childhood, not so much because of actual changes in how safe children are in public spaces. Four months after the incident, Kim was sitting on her friend's porch one summer night while they watched their kids playing with a bubble maker in the yard. She told her friend the story and how it was still unclear if she was going to be charged or not. This particular friend thought the whole thing was insane, said, who in the world hasn't left their kid in a car for a minute? She told Kim about one of her favorite bloggers, Lenore Skenazy. At the time, the last person Kim wanted to talk to was a self-proclaimed parenting expert. But she learned that Lenore was different. After writing a column about letting her nine-year-old son take the New York City subway, Lenore had been flooded with criticism, but also support. It led to her founding a movement called Free Range Kids, a group devoted to fighting the belief that our kids are in constant danger. Kim sent Lenore a Facebook message. I had told her, like, in, in, on Facebook, I had said I had an inc- there was an incident with my kid and being in a parking lot, and she was like, yeah, okay, well, we'll talk on the phone. And so I started to say to her, well, let me tell you what happened. And she said, oh, no, it's okay. I can tell you what happened. And she basically said what happened. I mean, not exactly, but she was like, you, you pulled in, you had to run an errands, you came out, and someone had was, you know, harassing you and calling the police. And I was like, well, how, do you, how did you know? And she was like, because this happens all the time. Because I talk to parents constantly who are having this happen to them all around the country. And that was the moment where I was like, why? <laughs> why is this happening? How can this be? Lenore had to get off the phone and get her kid ready for bed. But she told Kim, listen to me. A shift has taken place. 
It's this idea that children should never be left out of our sight. That a good parent is one who watches and manages and meddles. And this new standard has profound consequences on the lives of parents and children without ever being rooted in fact or any real danger. Hearing this completely changed the way Kim thought about her situation. She stopped beating herself up. When I talked to Lenore that day and she was like, no, I talk to people all the time. This is happening all the time. And I thought, this is, this is something very strange is going on. And that was when I kind of started researching kind of what was happening. It was a year after the incident when Kim got a call saying that there was a warrant out for her arrest. Her attorney told her it was time to go back to Virginia to turn herself in, allow herself to be arrested. She did and was given an official charge, contributing to the delinquency of a minor. It's the same statute in Virginia law that's mostly used for people buying beer for teenagers. Kim thought about fighting this charge. My lawyer pointed out that these cases are tried in juvenile court, that juvenile courts often will err on the side of, quote, protecting the child. And so I took his advice, and we sort of reached an agreement where I agreed to do 100 hours of community service and parenting education, and in exchange, they said they would drop the charges, basically. After the trial, Kim couldn't stop fixating on all the what-ifs. What if she hadn't been able to afford a lawyer? What if she didn't have a nice professional outfit from Ann Taylor Loft to wear? What if she couldn't afford to fly back to Virginia or take the days off work or find someone to watch her children? What if her record wasn't perfectly clean? What if she was in the middle of a custody dispute? She felt extremely lucky, and she couldn't stop wondering how cases like hers affected other less fortunate women. So she wrote an essay for Salon titled The Day I Left My Son in the Car. Within a few days, Her article was viewed six million times, and it elicited tens of thousands of comments. In them, Kim found what she was expecting, many readers eager to take a shot at her unfitness as a mother and a human being. But what she didn't expect were all the other quote-unquote bad mothers who'd been too scared and too ashamed to talk about what had happened to them. Those mothers motivated Kim to write a book, which gave her a chance to talk with a mom named Deborah Harrell. What happened to her and her daughter in 2014 made national news. She was a mom in South Carolina, single mom, African-American woman, and she was a manager at McDonald's supporting her daughter, and she didn't have childcare one day for her daughter. It was in the summer, school was out, and her daughter, who was nine at the time, I believe, asked if she could just, rather than sitting inside the apartment all day with the neighbor, asked if she could go play in a park that was about a mile from the McDonald's. So her mom said, fine, there's a very responsible little girl. She had a cell phone, and her mom had a cell phone, and, she's, and there were lots of people there, other parents. It was a water park. So she said, fine, she could, if there was a problem, just call her. And she did it for a day or two. And I think on the second or the third day, another parent called the police and said, there's a little girl here who's been abandoned. And that's the part of the story that I remembered. But 
What really shook me in reading your detailed account was the trauma that happened to this family and how this was handled by the police. Yeah, she was arrested. She spent three days in jail. Her daughter was picked up and taken to a group foster home for 14 days. For 14 days, she wasn't even allowed to talk to her daughter, who she'd never spent a night apart from. They were very close. They slept in the same room. And she lost her job. And then she was afraid she wouldn't be able to get another job. The other field she had had experience working in was as like a home health aide. But of course, if you're being charged with neglect, you can't get a job as a home health aide. Her case went on for a really long time. She was able to get legal representation because Lenore Skenazy helped her find pro bono lawyer. That really was deeply disturbing talking to her about what had happened and how it had impacted them. And, you know, I think that it's important for me to point out that when we as a culture decide that a good parent is a parent who never takes their eyes off their child, who watches their child 24-7 or pays another adult to watch their child 24-7, then basically what we're saying is that only affluent people can be good parents, that single parents, single mothers, working single mothers, poor mothers, that they can't be good parents. And also I think the other issue is it's just important to remember that whenever we criminalize a behavior that many, many people are doing, like letting your kids walk, walk down the street or wait in a car for five minutes, it will disproportionately hurt the most vulnerable people in our country, people of color, um, poor people, because of institutional racism in our legal system. Kim also spoke with a legal professional, Professor David Pimentel, who explained it like this. If you make it a crime to leave a child out of your sight, or out of the sight of a nanny or another paid professional, then you're basically saying poor people can't be parents. People will come up to me and say, oh my God, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Some people, that's terrible, and which is nice. But I always say, actually, I was very lucky. I'm very lucky. I'm white. <laughs> I uh, had the money. I, I didn't have it, but I could get it from my parents. I could get money to hire legal representation. And so I was lucky. Like, I didn't go to jail. I didn't lose my kids. I didn't lose my job. Kim firmly believes it's important for adults to stand up for children. But looking back six years, when that person saw her kid in the car, did they have to call the police? I think that what often happens is that people see a kid in a situation they don't really know what they're seeing. They're not sure if they're seeing something dangerous or problematic. And so they say, well, I'll just make a call just to be safe. I'll just call 911 or I'll just call the child abuse hotline. And if everything's fine, they'll sort it out. But the aftermath of a call like that can be complicated. What happens is that often they don't sort it out. Often they really damage people's lives and the lives of families and children in the process of sorting it out. In the case of Deborah Harrell, she told Kim that the incident has had a more lasting effect on her daughter than on her. She's 11 years old now. It's been two years since their separation, and she's still scared to go outside, to walk up the street. She's afraid to go on a trip with her friends. Deborah told Kim, I'll just say, baby, you're old enough now to go outside and live your life. You don't have to be home on the computer. In a bit, we'll hear how being told she's a bad mom 
has made Kim strive to be an even better mom by being more bad. Or that's how some people would see it. Don't go away. Can you say advertisements? Advertisements. (laughs) At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back. Now, back when Kim was waiting to be charged with her crime, she never really sat down and had a full conversation with her son about her choice in the parking lot that day. But one night over ice cream when he was five years old, he asked her what was up. He was like, are you going to go to jail for leaving me in the car that time? And I said, oh, no, I, I hope not. And and then we talked about it a little bit. And he was like, you did something wrong. He was like, you messed up, Mom. Uh, it's your fault this is it's, happening. It's your fault, right, Mom? And I was like, well, it's, it's complicated. I, I said, I don't really think that I did anything wrong. Mommy's been studying this issue, and you know I love you. And, and, and often it's funny because he has always thought I'm overprotective and wants even more freedom than I give him. And I was like, so I don't think Mommy did something wrong, but other people who saw me, they do think it's wrong. And he's like, well, which is it, (laughs) you know? Because he's of the age where he's trying to figure out what are the rules of the world. Right. And so I'm, I'm in this position of trying to say to him that, well, these are the rules of the world, but mom doesn't agree with all these rules. I don't, and, and that's a hard conversation to have, but I think it's really, it's a really important conversation. I mean, it's basically moral reasoning, you know, teaching your kids that, you don't have to just believe what everybody around you believes is the right thing to do, that you can think for yourself. Her son is now 11 years old, and Kim has made yet another choice that everyone else around her might not think is the right thing to do. She lets her son take public transportation, the CTA in Chicago, to school every day by himself. I'm not making a blanket generalization that all children who are 11 years old should do this. You know, my daughter who's eight is less independent. You know, she's a little more of a homebody. And, you know, it would be totally inappropriate for me to even, I can't imagine like a couple years from now, sending her places that he goes, not because she's a girl, but just because of their difference in temperaments. Kim says this feels like a safe or mostly safe choice for her son because he loves public transportation, loves maps, has a great sense of direction, and she can track him using location sharing on their phones. Yeah, we have this this app on our phones, so like we can see, I can see where he is, but he can also, I realize, see where I am. So the other day, this was like a week or two ago, 
he was, I told him to meet me at our allergist after school so we could get our allergy shots. And he got there a few minutes before me and he's waiting in the allergy office and I'm driving and suddenly he calls me and he's like, mom, why did you turn left on Addison? And I'm like, what? And I'm like, you don't turn right on Addison. Where are you going, mom? And I'm like, oh my God, he's right. Why did I turn? And I realize he's tracking me. He's like air traffic controlling me (laughs) to the allergist. Kim's son has been commuting like this without incident all school year. But then the day before we talked, he came home and told Kim he'd just been stopped by a police officer. And at first I was like, oh God, here we go again. <laughs> and I, at first I turned to my husband and I was like, you're taking the fall this time. <laughs> it's your turn, you know. Uh, but then my son said, no, no, it was okay. He says, I don't think I'm in trouble or you're in trouble. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, he just stopped me and he just said, you know, is everything okay? What are you doing here? And I told him that I was coming home from school and he said, you know, your parents know you're here. And he said, yeah. And he said, they're at work and this is where I go to school and I'm on my way home. And the guy said, okay, you know, sounds good to me. Like, be careful and sort of sent him on his way. And I thought, that how completely appropriate, right, to check in. Now, hopefully I won't get a notice in the mail saying I'm being investigated uh, by Child Protective Services. Fingers crossed. But um, if, if that is where it ends, then I think that's completely completely fine. I have no problem with an adult checking in on my kid and making sure they're fine. I think people need to learn to do that more, to talk to each other and help each other. Is that a harder way to parent at times? I mean, to, to know that he is out there on his own? Is part of you always aware when he's on the train and a little nervous about it? Sure. I mean, there's certainly moments where, yeah, I feel a throb of anxiety and I call him or I text him and, you know, I have him text me regularly, like when he gets on the train and when he gets off, you know. So as I mentioned before, I'm afraid of flying and it's kind of a thing I I deal with. And I remember talking to my dad once about it. My dad's a psychiatrist. I was like, you know, as soon as I'm up in the air, I just start thinking about what it would be like if this plane crashed because that happens and like I think about what it would feel like falling out of the sky and like plunging 20,000 feet into the ocean he was like maybe just don't think about those things (laughs) like he's like why don't you instead think about like what you're gonna have for dinner So I kind of, I try to do the same thing. Like every time my son is riding the train home from school, I could think about, you know, every horrible story I've read about of something weird and awful happening to children. But I try to make a conscious decision not not to do that. When Kim and I were done talking, we tossed our empty coffee cups and headed out of the store. On the way out, we noticed a big red poster advertising their latest innovation in shopping convenience. It made me wonder if Target headquarters had been influenced by Kim's story. It's called Drive Up. If you shop ahead, they'll bring your order straight out to the parking lot without you or your kid ever having to get out of the car. Kim Brooks is the author of Small Animals, Parenthood and the Age of Fear. We want to hear from you. Have you ever experienced shame or real consequences for a parenting decision you've made? How'd it change you as a parent? Tell us in the comments for this episode. That's number 179. This episode was produced by me, 
Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Akatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, you guys have been asking to hear about polyamorous parents. And true to the subject matter, we found you three of them. But that isn't how they usually introduce themselves. Yeah, I mean, like, oh, I have sex you... with these people. Like, no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... It always sounds like a come on, hey. Did you know I'm not monogamous? Did you know? <laughs> Just, you know, if you were worried, I was taken. <laughs> I'm not. Do not miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories. Right now, we're interested in hearing about your most pressing parenting problems. The plan is to run them by Hillary Frank. She's the creator and executive producer of the show, and she's going to answer your problems using her new book. It's called Weird Parenting Wins. So tell us what's going on in your parenting life. Just go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide.